Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, and welcome to Why Are You Like This, a podcast devoted to finding out who we are and why we do the things we do. I'm your host, Ryan Andrews, and today's guest and I have so many things in common. We both host podcasts, we are both too pretty to play ugly, and we both love a Celine Dion opt-up. Please welcome to the mic, Lily Torre. Oh my gosh, I'm like over here trying not to like audibly laugh while you're delivering your beautiful intro. <laughs> <laughs> Pew pew. Welcome to the pod. I loved that. Thank you. I'm so honored and love to be associated with Too Pretty to Play Ugly and Celine Dion Opt Ups. Like, truly, what a gift. I feel seen. Yeah, you just write it down when people are like, What kind of person are you? You're like, This is it. Take it or leave it. That's the answer to why I'm I like this. So thanks so much for playing. It's been great. Bye. Great. It's been a delightful pod. We have one minute of content. I hope you guys really enjoyed this week's episode. Oh my gosh. Oh, I love it. Lord. Lily, how are you? Oh my gosh. I am honestly doing well. I still feel in that phase of 2020 aftermath where I'm like, I don't feel like I'm allowed to say that I'm doing well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, there's like weird guilt associated with feeling okay. Um, but as you already know, I recently moved to Kansas City and I got a dog and like that's honestly what life's about is uh, living somewhere cheap and having a dog. That's what I've learned. So it's been great. <laughs> that that could be a whole self-help book right there. <laughs> I'm going to write it. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. My, my Nobody new, take it. Million. Nobody take it. That's so good. No, I feel the same way when people are like, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm good. And you're like, <laughs> you could okay? just say you're good. You could just say you're fine. <laughs> exactly. Oh gosh. Yeah. You moved. You got a dog. Do you have a backyard? Are you at a backyard level yet? We don't have a backyard. We decided to like start slow and like, so we're still in an apartment. We didn't like, you know, buy a house or anything crazy. Well, crazy. Um, yeah. Right. Like who does that? <laughs> um, but we do have a courtyard. So, you know, we're moving up in the world. I was walking around town last night and I walked by just like a row of brownstones mm-hmm. and I... <laughs> thought I had this profound thought, which it's not profound at all, but I was like, wow, some people do have houses in New York. (laughs) (laughs) That is profound because that does not feel real. I'm sure that no one has a house in New York. Certainly not. I like walked by, someone had their windows open and it was just like set up like a house. 
And I was like, <laughs> yeah. what is this? <laughs> the whole thing? That whole thing is you? You have that whole thing? You you don't share it? It looks like you've lived here for years. <laughs> I'm sure they have. Probably. It's never <laughs> left that family, that's for sure. Oh, for sure. Indubitably. Oh, gosh. So... As we have mentioned, Lily has just moved, but Lily and I met in college way back when in Illinois. And similarly, we both have kind of like traveled around the country a lot. Um, yeah. Moving around. And do you find that fun? Because for <laughs> me, I get real, I'm like, I'm going to do it. And then the day of, I'm like, this is the worst plan I've ever come up with in my life. <laughs> like so many things in life. Moving is horrible, like in anticipation of it. Mm-hmm. Anticipating the move is the worst thing. And then like the actual act of the moving is also like pretty bad. <laughs> but on the other side of it, it's almost always a good decision for one reason or another. Either you get there and you're like, wait, I love it here. Like this was such a great change. Or you're like, this is terrible. I had it great where I was before, but like what a good thing to know. You're not going to be like left wondering what if you had true. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I didn't, I haven't really thought of it that way that you and I both went to, to college in the Midwest, a region that we were not from. And then we ended up moving to different areas of the country that were also not where we were from and also not the Midwest where we went to college. So I, yeah, I hadn't really thought of it that way, but I think it's so funny. I was actually thinking about this the other day, um, when kind of like reflecting on, on my move, I've never really identified with a place, like with being from a place. Like I don't have like hometown pride. I, you know, Mm -hmm. didn't really feel like I was like from the Midwest at all because I'm, I'm not when I was in college. And, and then in New York, like I never really felt like a New Yorker and I never had that like obsession with being able to call myself that. Like I never cared about that rite of passage of like when XYZ happens, I can officially call myself a New Yorker. I don't know. It's an odd feeling to be like, well, so then when Colin and I were deciding where we wanted to move, it was like, I don't feel like ties or really much of a connection to anywhere. So we have (laughs) infinite possibilities of where we want to go. And I think it made it a little bit easier to to leave New York because I didn't feel like I was like stripping myself of of an identity. Yeah, I feel similarly where like yes, I live in New York. Like my ID says mm-hmm. New York. Um but I don't feel the need to like get a tattoo of the New York skyline. Right. And then I grew up in Oregon and I love Oregon. And I've like recently decided I want a tattoo, but who knows of what. And so I was like, what if I get, this is this morning. I'm like, what if I put like a, like Mount Hood from Oregon on my thigh? And and it's like, why? (laughs) I know I'm from there. Like like I'm aware, you know, and I think, I think it's because my parents like moved they're from Rhode Island and I was born in Rhode Island. And then oh. um, we moved to Oregon when I was five. Uh-huh. So I've always been like, oh, well, like my deep rooted family, like cousins, uncles, whatever, they're all in Rhode Island. So it's not like when I go to Oregon, I have like the whole big families around and everyone's there. It's right. like everyone's always been spread out. 
Yeah. But I feel like you do have a lot of like Oregon pride. Oh, yeah. I mean, I do love it. Maybe I'll get the tattoo. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Even without the tattoo, I happen to know that you're very proud of being from Oregon. (laughs) Yeah. It's a nice place. Um, So Lily, growing up, when did you discover that you were going to be an artsy little person? (laughs) An artsy little person. Well, um, you know, I... I guess it depends on how you look at that. Like I started playing violin when I was five and that was sort of my like introduction to the arts. And I really, really loved it. I started that young. I think maybe this is rare. I started that young because I like begged my parents to let me play violin. It wasn't like my parents being like, you are going to perform an instrument. (laughs) They were kind of like, what the hell? Like you want to play violin? Like, okay. Okay, cool like a very difficult instrument for like a very tiny child, but um, sure. And I loved it for a really long time uh, until I ended up taking lessons from a really strict teacher, kind of like an old school teacher who was sort of the only um, violin teacher where I grew up. And she was very strict and harsh and by the book and very much like if you're not going to be a professional violinist, like you're not worth my time. Oh, and, and you're still five. Right. Well, <laughs> I, I think when I started with her, I was, I was the ripe age of like eight or nine. Oh so yeah. I was, I was old by then. Yeah. You were a grown up. <laughs> yeah. I was like ready to make like a formative decision, like what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I have so much respect for her. Like she was, she was of a different time. Like she wasn't even like allowed to take music lessons as a kid. Like it, it was, and you know, it was not like a career path that she was ever allowed to consider. Like, so I, I get it, but, um, it definitely, it sucked the joy right out, mm. <laughs> which I think is probably going to be a theme as I end up talking about this more. And, you know, she was so intense and strict that she was very against her students doing anything else. She was very singular in that way. She like, said that if I really wanted to, perhaps I could also take piano lessons to like make me a better violinist. But like, that was it. If I had any interest in anything else, like no sports team, certainly no theater, like nothing else was allowed. And, you know, eventually I just was like, I started doing choir because a friend of mine and I had no classes together and she was in the choir. So it's like literally the only reason I even took choir. Um, And then I was like, wait, I think I really like this. And then in high school, I was like, you know, that very same friend bullied me into auditioning for the musical and, uh, which was Les Mis, very uh, appropriate. Yes. <laughs> like the thing is. I love a high school Les Mis. I love a high school Les Mis. Don't we all? And if you, the first musical you're ever in is Les Mis, like you don't stand a chance. No. Like you're gonna want to do this professionally. Yeah. Like, there's just, you, yeah, you're a goner. And that's exactly what happened to me. So, you know, at that point, then my teacher, my violin teacher was like, you can't do both of these things. Like you have to choose. And so I was like, all right, well you suck. So I'm going to do theater. <laughs> like you have sucked all the joy out of something I used to love. So I'm going to do this new thing that I love. And, you know, that was really it for me. I was, I was all in at that point. And I think theater then sort of like filled that, that void that I had that like that craving that I had for creativity and fun and like all of those things. And so, yeah, I really went all in on it. And, um, you know, looking back sometimes I'm like, wow, I was, that was very bold of 18 year old Lily to be like, I've been in like, you know, 
five musicals. I should probably do this professionally for the rest of my life. Oh, like, yeah. It's it's amazing to me. I wish I had that confidence now. But, um, but yeah, that's kind of where it all started. It's funny because I recently went down that journey with our uh, mutual friend, Charlotte York, on the pod. And her entire yes. background was like, yeah. And then, like, I was in the choir for, like, Bath nationally in England. And I was, you know, studied at Juilliard and did an internship. And then I decided to go to Millican. I was like, um, I was a 15 year old who played Chip <laughs> in Beauty and the Beast. And I thought, this is it, babe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I like, I don't, I'm sure you also remember resume day at Millican. Oh, Lord. Oh. Yes, the the rite of passage that was Resume Day, where everybody – I mean, the intention of Resume Day was to talk about, like, resume formatting and, like, you know, what a resume is and blah, 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 blah. But, like, I don't know why we're talking about this, like, first semester freshman year. Like, it feels like it's sort of a, like, test. And I was sat next to someone who had, like, the – to this day, I don't – I don't know how she put so many words on like an A by 10 piece of paper. Like <laughs> there was so much text on this paper of all of her credits and many of which were like actually professional credits. And I was like, oh my God, what have I done? Like it was the most intimidating thing in the world. And I was like, oh my God, there are people here who like are already doing this professionally. Uh huh. And yeah, that was certainly a wake up call for me. <laughs> I yeah I I was like yeah one musical a year I got this in a in the bag I'm oh, yeah. ready to go um, <laughs> it is funny when I think about like just any artistic venture how youth is so important in it for some reason I've been thinking about that a lot recently especially with your violin teacher being like you have to be professional right now you are eight it's like right. for so many things we have just created this like mythical cap off of age, mm -hmm. which is so perplexing to me. It's so true. I feel like it's sort of hand in hand with the like, the like prodigy idea or like the untrained talent, the innate talent. Like she's never had a voice lesson and she's amazing. And it's like, well, like that's, it's not a requirement. Like you can, you can be amazing at something because you became amazing at it, not just like because you were born out of the womb amazing at it. Right. I think we both agree that hard work separates a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Um, I know that I was inspired by your work ethic in school. Um, and so I take that with me as I as I go throughout my tender career here. But I mean, I can only speak for myself. I have very high opinions of me. I think I'm very talented, but I know that there are a lot of people who are innately better at certain things, but I also know that sure. I can work hard. Yes. And that seems to get lost as you're like a young artist growing up. Yeah. It's like the thing that nobody really talks about, or it's not talked about as much. It's like, yeah, you know, I, I really appreciate you saying that about my work ethic because honestly, you know, going back to like resume day, it was born out of the realization that like I might be really behind a lot of these people. And I wasn't one of, you know, those people who went to college and was immediately like 
the chosen one of like, oh, she's so talented. She's going to go so far. Like I very much felt like I had to fight for everything that I wanted out of that school and that program. And while I was, you know, very lucky in a lot of ways and I got a lot of the things that I, I wanted, I truly believe it was born out of a place of work ethic and, and just knowing what I needed, like an example being uh, Millikan is somewhat unique in that it allows its theater and musical theater majors to study abroad in London, which is phenomenal and such a wonderful experience. And even at the time, I just knew that in that moment, that is not what I needed. I needed to stay behind and train and like take advantage of the fact that a lot of the people who I felt were getting the most attention were going to be gone and that, you know, professors would be just left with me and like, they'd have to focus on me and I would have to, you know, I, I had opportunities that semester that I may not have had that sort of set me up for the rest of my time there. And, but at the same time, like, I totally get why all of my classmates went to London. Like I had, I had traveled a lot as a kid and being from a family who is literally all over the world, I had been to many places all over the world to visit my family. And so it wasn't like I had never been to Europe. This was going to be, you know, broadening my horizons. I knew in that moment that I needed to honestly to catch up. Mm-hmm. And I believed what you're saying that like if I work hard, I can make up for the ways in which other people are just further along than I am. Yeah, I can't not to get like too insider baseball, but <laughs> if I'm thinking back on school, I'm like, okay, so what would have happened if I didn't go and what would happen if I if I continue on the course that I'm at. And then for some reason, it cuts off the fact that I continue to learn and grow post-2013 when I graduated. Right. I've just had a lot of time to think. I don't know if you've been locked inside the house for a year, but I have. And uh, yeah, how, how unique. <laughs> how crazy. Um, yeah, it's just it's just interesting. And I think, not to put words in your mouth, but I think that hard work is how you have been able to develop this whole other venture of the dreaded question and like helping Mm -hmm. people with their careers and stuff and being able to see how you can do as you call it parallel careers while still being a a creative and uh, dynamic performer yes I mean it definitely requires a lot of hard work and you know As you know, having a podcast alone is so much work and, you know, it's, it's honestly about like, are you willing to do the work? Do you want to do the work? I think sometimes we like force ourselves to work hard on things that we actually don't want that much, but we feel like we're supposed to work hard at. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that, you know, I think that happens for a lot of people who start out really young in theater is they feel sort of beholden to this, you know, four or five-year-old version of themselves that wanted to be on Broadway. And so they're working so hard towards this thing that like, does your adult self even want that anymore? Like, I think, you know, I, I think back to, to Milliken and then I think in the years beyond and, you know, not feeling like I was always um, told that I was going to be a star, you know, at Milliken. Yeah. I think what that did for me is I w- fully was like, I'm going to struggle every step of the way. And it's going to be hard. 
And I never had this belief that like I was going to move to New York and book the first thing I auditioned for, which is what ultimately happened. <laughs> but, then, <laughs> but then after that, it was a long struggle and I didn't book again for a long time. And yeah, I just never had this belief that it was going to be easy for me. So what ultimately led to me starting the dreaded question and getting more curious about parallel careers was realizing that like, because there are such big gaps where I wasn't working in theater, I wasn't really willing to go such long stretches of time without feeling like I was building towards anything that was important to me or doing work that mattered to me. Um, and, you know, also having to learn the difference between work that I'm good at and work that matters to me, mm-hmm. very <laughs> that important. is very important and can be hard to do, you know, when someone's like, oh, but you're so good at this. You're like, oh, well then, <clears throat> then I guess I should do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I think hard work is, is a lot of it, but it's also caring about what it is that you're doing and being just as willing to let go of something when it's, it's not important to you anymore. Well, we're also like sent off from these schools being told that like any job you take outside of acting has to be something that can be temporary. Like you have to serve in a restaurant or you have Mm -hmm. to work front desk at some fitness studio. It has to be something that you could drop at any moment where you can have a full other life. You can have a life. You can have one singular life and continue to work and audition for things that you want to. I mean, it's hard to tell your 22-year-old self this because at least 22-year-old me was like, nah, screw you. But like, it doesn't have to be that you're either like struggling and working at a job that you hate, but you're told you have to have, or you're euphoric and working Mm -hmm. in theater. (laughs) Right. Well, that also puts too much pressure on theater work because how often is it really that euphoric? And I think, you know, when I was talking about violin and, you know, just having the fun sucked out of it, unfortunately, like that has been my experience a lot of the time in theater that, you know, there have been exceptions. I've had phenomenal experiences, but there have also been times where I'm like, this isn't fun and this isn't joyful. And this feels, um, purposeless. It feels like we're just doing this to do it. And like, there's no process. There's no joy. I'm not learning. I'm not growing. And that isn't worth it to me. We give up too much to do this, to feel that way. And, you know, so much of the resistance that so many of us feel about parallel careers, I feel that I can boil down to the often given advice of, if you can do anything else, do that instead. And it, it gives this like challenge. Like if you really care about this, then you're only going to focus on this and you're not going to think about anything else. You're not going to pursue anything else. You can only be an actor. And I think a lot of times too, when actors are asked, you know, why did you become an actor? (laughs) A lot of people will say, because I couldn't do anything else. (laughs) And I'm like, that's, just like not true. Like what a sad answer. It's so sad. <laughs> it's Sorry. really sad. It like makes me like so sad and angry when people say that. Oh god. Yeah, I'm like, well, it but it feels like it's the right answer if 
it is true that if you can do anything else, you should do that instead, then it should also be true that you should be an actor only if you can't do anything else. So I get why people think that's the quote unquote right answer, but it's just like factually not true. There's so much else you can do. There's so much else you do because you probably have some sort of either survival job or parallel career or something else that sustains you. And the skills that you have as an artist apply to other so many other things. So you could use those very same skills in a million different ways. So it just like, it always makes me sad. And I think that we go into these university programs with almost a resistance or a defiance of like, I'm not going to do anything else. I'm just going to focus. I certainly was that way for sure uh, on, on my acting career because that's what I have to do. Well, and I mean, while you're at school, you have carved out four years of your life to do that. Right. But it's also such an opportunity to investigate and explore other things. And like, there were times where professors would tell me and my peers that we were good at other things. And I at least would almost take that as a challenge of being like, they're testing me to see if I really want this. Like, so I'm going to double down and like not do that thing that they say that I'm good at. And it's like, I look back on that and I'm like, oh gosh, there's so much else I could have done in school or like other classes I could have taken. And you know, I, I do think the professors were trying to, to show us the other opportunities that are in front of us. And unfortunately for me, I feel like I couldn't really see it. Oh, same here. I also think people forget that acting is often a passion, but it's also a skill set. And you can use that skill set anywhere you'd like. So when you say dramatically draped over the corner of a booth with a martini and you're (laughs) like painted up beautiful face, you're just saying, I haven't actually explored the rest of my talents. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's just such a slippery slope. It is. And it gives your career such power over you. I think that's how actors get so taken advantage of is they are backed into a corner and they're desperate. And, you know, someone that I love and respect refers to it as like white knight syndrome, that you're waiting for a job to save you from your miserable life. And like, how sad is that? Right. Yeah. And I've, I mean, I am no saint. I have definitely had thoughts as I'm standing at a job that I'm not that interested in being like, man, if an offer could come through so I could just quit. A lot of times I was put together and fortunate enough that I could have just quit. Yeah. I could have just quit. I could have pivoted. Um, And it wasn't really until I took my uh, mental health siesta home and came back to New York that I figured that out at least a little bit. Yeah. That like, it's so much more empowering that way and realizing that your skills are valuable and that what you bring to the table can be utilized in so many different ways, like really is empowering. Lord, what a life. (laughs) What a cool life. What a world. So Lily, I feel like we've been answering this for the last 27 minutes. Um, (laughs) But I do have to ask you, why are you like this? Hey there, ever dream of making your own podcast? 
Let me tell you a little bit about Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. First, it's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Why are you like this? What a fabulous and unexpected question. Why, thank you. I would love to have like a super brilliant self-aware answer. I feel like, of course, it's a, a culmination of so many different things, but I think that in reality, it's a combination of the fact that I'm like almost cripplingly empathetic, very curious, and like an oddly slow learner, <laughs> <laughs> which is like is a real hit to the ego for me to say that as someone who like likes to think she's a smart person. But but the evidence is stacked against me that I I learn slowly. I have to learn the same thing a few times before I figure it out. And I mean, one such example is like I got the chicken pox twice. Like, <laughs> like that's like not that's even possible. Not a thing. It's like not a thing. But my body like couldn't learn the chicken pox, so I got it again in fifth grade. Like, come on, you got to double up on the COVID vaccine. I'm just I know yeah. I'm literally like the two shots was not enough. Like I, <laughs> I, I I'm gonna get it. Um, but it's also just true in my life. You know, I have to, I really have to like learn the same lessons often repeatedly. And I don't know, I I guess that's not a great answer to the question. Why am I like this? Cause I don't know why that is, <laughs> but that does sort of, the, I think the combination of those three things, like overwhelming amounts of empathy insatiable curiosity and a slowness to learn lessons like really sort of has made me the way that I am that I I ask a lot of questions I I love to learn things about people I'm very curious about why people are the way that they are so this podcast is like a feast for my ears and brain and it also just takes me I I have to remind myself that I am a person who has to learn lessons more than once. And so I need to put myself in situations where I will be challenged in similar ways. And I have to constantly question the things that I'm telling myself are true. One being, if you can do anything else, do that instead. Or the fact that the idea that because I'm an artist, I'm not capable of anything else. Like I have to constantly challenge those things. Otherwise I will sort of stagnate and I will just sort of take things as, as gospel, if you will. So I don't know. I, I, I think the way that I am is very much a combination of those things. And it's, I'm constantly navigating how to best combine those things about myself for good. Well, first, I want to say knowing that you are a slow learner and being inquisitive makes you smart. You said that because you were slow. (laughs) It doesn't make you smart. I am very quick. A lot of times I'm not very smart. Um, It's just a lot of uh, stubborn. And... 
being inquisitive and asking questions is how we learn and how we grow and something that I have started doing more in my life in the past couple of years and why this podcast exists. Um, because I think a lot of the things that it, it goes back to us kind of talking about, like wanting to find a child prodigy, like a lot of what we see and consume is packaged in a way that makes it seem like everything has come out of the ether right there. And it's impossible yeah. for you to do it any other way. And not just in the arts business too. Um, the amount yeah. of, I mean, I don't know anything about cryptocurrency, but like there's like <laughs> 17 that have popped up this year. So many. Um, Colin's going to be like, don't invest. Um, <laughs> so it's like, but all of those things took time. Everything takes time. Yeah, it's true. It's like we we so often see the the result of a lot of hard work, but we don't. You know, it's like that that like meme of like the tip of the iceberg, like what you see versus like what has come before it, and it 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 is very true. And I I think of you as someone who is very curious, and I think of you as someone who asks great questions, and I think that. I think in some ways that comes with being an actor, I think, or being an artist in general is like a curiosity about human nature and about other people and other people's experiences, the ways that we are similar and the ways that we are different. I think that's very, um, it's very common amongst artists, but I think that, you know, it's, there is this sort of like obsession with, oh, I can't believe I'm about to say this because I actually... I very much believe in like the universe and big magic and all that kind of thing. But I also think that we almost oversubscribe to like, it was meant to be like, it just like, as if like no effort is put into things mm -hmm. and it, it may have been meant to be sure, but also like, there's a lot of work involved. Like for some reason, my brain immediately goes to like marriage and like, people will say like, oh, like they're, they were meant to be like, they're such a perfect couple, like whatever. And that may be true, but it's also like a lot of work to maintain a relationship and to be a good partner. And I don't really believe that like, I don't really believe in soulmates. I believe that you can choose to spend your life with a partner who is more aligned with you and like will make it easier for you to spend your life with them. But I don't believe that there's any one person out there. And I think that's so much more beautiful to be like, I have no guarantee that you're like my one person, but I'm still just choosing to spend every day with you because I just like really love who you are. And so I think like there's this misconception of like, oh, they're a great couple because they're meant to be like, no, they're a great couple because they work at it and they choose to prioritize that. Yeah. It's like you, you're not my like magical person who appeared on the planet, you're the person that I have chosen to do the work with. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and I mean, I have no uh, knowledge of marriage, but I do <laughs> feel the same way when people are like, when they quote the like, you are enough or um, what will be will be. I'm like, yes, you are enough. So you have to see your skills and use them. What will yes. be will be because you have put in the work and the effort to get there. And I don't know, I think it's mainly easy to fall into because a lot of our early life is spent sitting in audition studios, essentially doing open calls. 
So you have to have something to hold on to or else it's bleak. Um, yeah. But I think when people fall into a trap of, well, I am enough, so I don't have to work on this, this, or this, or what will be will be. So if I go into this audition and I don't have a care for it, it'll happen either way. Right. Exactly. And it's like, you could say whatever will be, will be and like sit at home and like wait for jobs to come to you. But like, guess what? Like, you're not going to get them. Like it's, and I think the, you are enough thing, you know, what's so funny about that. I, I find that so ironic so much of the time because I feel like people who are telling you, you are enough are often trying to sell you something. Oh yeah. So it's often like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're enough, but like you would be more if you like bought my program or, you know, like it, it feels like this sort of like manipulative thing to like make people feel good so that they'll like buy your book or do whatever. And I don't know. I, I do believe that like we are each enough, but it's what we do with that belief and that knowledge that determines you know, what, what's going to happen? Well, it's the, it's in the same vein of like, how many times have you been sitting in a musical theater class and somebody sings a song and they're a little bit nervous and the person who's doing the master class looks at them and it goes, Hey, 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 you're enough. You have everything in you. So you'll be fine. And they sing it because they already sang it before. And we already know the song. And then the entire room is like, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> Most of the work was done by the person standing there taking a deep breath and standing in their truth. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's yeah, you know, Jen Waldman always says like context is everything and when you have a shared context, you can appreciate the work of the person in front of you rather than the first time when you didn't have any context for it. Like it's it's such a funny like I don't know. It it's so funny when people really try to prove the change when they're like, did you see that? Did you see the difference? And it's like, well, yeah, because like it's a different time that they did it. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I got to see the first part right. and now I'm going to see the second part. Exactly. I, yeah. I mean, I hit a huge turning point with taking classes like that when I just kept leaving class with whoever was teaching being like, you know, when it happens for you, it's going to be big. And it's like with people who could quote unquote, make it happen for me. And I'm like, okay, yeah. one, you're being a dick Two, Okay. So you, you buy in, you get it. You're on the team. Right. So let's just do uh, this thing. That is such a good point. That is so, oh, that's so real. Like, oh, thank you so much. Like if you really believe that, then like fucking make it happen. Cause you can, like you're a gatekeeper. You're, like literally it drives me crazy when gatekeepers are like, I'm not a gatekeeper. Like it's the gatekeepers that are the problem. And I'm like, you are a gatekeeper. <laughs> you're like you and you and you, you are all gatekeepers. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, and I have recently over the pandemic, um, fallen in love with documentaries about cults. Oh, of course. And the first parts of them, I mean, especially like Nexium. I knew you were going to say that. The mm -hmm. first, I don't know, three to four weeks of that is acting school. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's 100% acting school. We watched the first three episodes. I turned to Sean and I was like, I am susceptible to cults. I 100% <laughs> would go to these meetings and be like, my whole life has changed. Yeah. 
I don't think that's a bad thing that I'm like trusting in the fact that somebody wanted to help me and then they made it something fucked up and weird, but right. That's the thing. It's just like, it's in our brain, in our body. Like we're watching them. They're like, yeah, we would like break through past trauma and da, 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 da. And I'm like, yeah, I did that in acting class. They made us bring in a random object and then just told us shit about our lives that may or may not be true. And we were told to cry. Yeah. It's, yeah, no, it's a hundred percent like theater school. It's crazy how much it is. And but it, but that's exactly why, you know, that particular cult situation, like, really preyed on actors or really, like, got a lot of actors involved because it, like, was designed basically for actors. And this sort of, like, almost, like, religious commitment to self-improvement. I've been thinking about self-improvement, like, so much recently because I feel like this is sort of the other side of the coin that we're talking about with, like, you are enough. Like, you are enough, but, like, buy my book and you'll be better. Mm-hmm. It's like, if I really, like, at what point am I enough? Because, like, at what point can I stop reading self-improvement or self-help books? Like, at what point have I, like, and this is me as, like, the person who just described herself as curious. Like, now I'm curious about, like, when is it enough? And, like, when am I, when can I just be, like, happy with the way that I am? And I think, like, that's so contrary to theater practice it's like it's constantly about improving your like your mind your body your instruments which is like often just like a code for like get skinnier and (laughs) it's just like it's fascinating to me well and it's also the entire industry is based off of like you're hustling 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 and you're constantly Uh replaceable until you're famous and then you can make rules and i'm like you can make rules from the start yep even if you're the only one following them. And if I had done that from the start, I really don't think my career would be different. I truly don't. Mm. Um, I am 5'4". I am wonderfully attractive. I am hilarious and I sing rather high. Those are things that are all all truths. However, I'm not set up to do your summer stock season of six shows that are all the same. I'm just not. And... I don't need to be and I don't want to be. However, I came out with a, I have to be right for every single job mm-hmm. mentality. And so instead of developing an artistic identity for myself, that when I see people like Olivia Rodrigo <laughs> at a very young age have fine success, it's like because they know who they are and they've used that to get the things that show off those talents as opposed to, I want to be a catch-all for all things. Yes. Yes. I think like specificity is your friend in the arts, (laughs) whether that be around your work or whether that be around like how you identify and who you identify as, as an artist and the type of work that you pursue. I think, you know, it's, it's interesting the way that you just spoke about Olivia Rodrigo because she like about no she knows who she is but she's like very young right mm-hmm. and i think like i just identify with that so much because growing up people always told me like oh my gosh like you're so mature like you you know who you are you like have such a good sense of self you're so self-aware and 
that almost became like a sticking point for me where I was like, oh, okay, great. Like I know who I am. So like this is who I am and this is who I will always be. And like that's where I have to like force myself to constantly question things because, you know, I think knowing who you are is like a little bit of a trap of becoming sort of fixed-minded around this is who I am and I have to preserve that at all costs. And I think like a more interesting way to go is to like let that constantly evolve. And I think that also, you know, that goes for as an actor, let's say the type of work that you go in for, like that should constantly be evolving and changing based on what's interesting to you and what opportunities, I mean, the opportunities are constantly changing. And I think like, you know, you said, you know, you might not be a fit for, for summer stock seasons or whatever. And you know, that, that could be true for a variety of reasons if that's like not what you want or whatever. But I also think like that is true based on historical like lack of imagination. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And I think like the reality is on a human level there, you, you can be in any show, like on a human level, like there's so much that you can bring to so many shows as long as they're interesting and important to you. And if, a theater company can't see that like because you're five four or something mm-hmm. that like you don't belong in that season like that doesn't make that's not that's not a reason to hold someone back and I like those are those are the types of things that I'm really hoping that we can bring some change to like when our generation as our generation is is coming to more positions of power yeah I agree it's also like you have to kind of protect yourself in in those moments too, where it's not your individual responsibility to create imagination for people who don't want to have it. No, you can't. Um, and I think a lot of people will f- spin out, including myself, feeling that way about stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you're 100% right. I think there's there's a trap in being told that you – oh, you know who you are. Or as people like to tell me when I was young, you're so real, which really meant I was just a bitch. Um, (laughs) That it just, it stopped me from being curious for a long time. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's all, it's all just a long journey, long journey. (laughs) It really is. So Lily, as we're reaching the end of our time, I asked this of all of my guests, do you have any questions for me? Well, I have about a thousand. Let's um, do it. Because as you know, I'm pretty curious and I have a lot of questions. But <laughs> um, for the sake of time, I think I'll just ask, like, what are you discovering on this podcast? Like, I feel like there must be a lot of overlap or maybe not in the answers that you receive to the question, why are you like this? And I'm curious, especially because I think most of the people that you've interviewed are like would identify as some sort of like creative or artist. Mm -hmm. Like, are there themes that you're finding? Yeah, definitely. There, um, well, everyone seems to love the question. Uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then I think, I think the longer I let people talk about it, the deeper we go. It's kind of like uh, the show yourself scene in uh, Frozen 2. Uh, <laughs> where she keeps going down and down and down into the ice. Yeah. Um, 
because I, we don't ask people these questions and especially I find it especially enlightening with people such as yourself who I've known for like ever mm-hmm. previous to this I wasn't having conversations like this with anybody unless we were like inebriated in some way <laughs> right and while they were still happening you would always chalk it up to like oh whoa we like we got so crazy deep last night like so weird ah right and it's like or you could just every once in a while have like a true conversation with the people you know and love and learn a little bit more about them. And then what I'm finding about myself as this goes on is just kind of like how I can overlap my skills and talents to create something that is me fully. Um, I think for a really long time, I was like, this is who Ryan is when he does musical theater. And this is who Ryan is when he does comedy. And this is Ryan sitting on your couch. And as I get to host this and talk to people, I get to do a little bit of all of it. And I think it's like the truest, wholest version of me that I've put out into the world. Yes. So that's pretty special. That's very special. And it's so funny it's, it's actually, I hadn't thought about this before. Like we both have podcasts that are like centered around a question. Mm. Yours is like very interesting and generous and mine is literally dreaded. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but I find the same thing that like, I'll ask people like, so what are you up to? And they'll be like, Oh, you know, like not much. Or they'll be like, I I'm doing this like one thing. And then we'll have like a full hour conversation and we get into so many things that are so much more interesting or like like you said, you just go so much deeper the more that you get into it. And I think it's because we're so rarely given the permission to just delve so deeply into something. Like you were saying, like usually we would be like drunk or high or something. And that's almost like a, what's the word? Like a, an out or, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, it gives you permission to be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I said that. Like I was so drunk. Where like, you really, but that's maybe how you feel. And on a podcast, like you don't necessarily have that same sort of out, but it, you don't need that suit of armor to get to the truth of these, you know, big and generous questions. Yeah. And I think hopefully as myself, I, I know that when I leave each episode, I feel like I've learned more about myself and I hope that, Mm. uh, guests feel the same way guests if you're listening feel free to um shout out in the comments if this is all a lie um (laughs) but yeah I think I I I think there are a lot of themes I think a lot of people will either like circle back to some form of trauma for why they are like Mm -hmm. that or they will circle back to really either trauma or like intense joy yeah and, Isn't that funny? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's the extremes so often. I I don't know. I'm sort of like my mind is like connecting dots of what you were saying before about like the more that you do this podcast, the more that you feel like you're able to bring together the seemingly disparate parts of yourself. And like, I mean, obviously that just like resonates with me so deeply because like that is so much of the work that I'm trying to do with my podcast and with the coaching that I do to help artists find parallel careers is like it's all about gathering all of those things and not 
separating the different parts of yourself. I'm actually looking for a new term for the word parallel career because parallel things inherently never intersect. And I feel like that's Mm. not really like, that's like the opposite of what I'm going for. Um, But I just love like, that's what's so magical about podcasts is like, especially for actors, I think, is it's one of the few times you have total and complete control over every element of the creation and you can literally make it whatever you want and you can bring in whoever you want and you can talk about whatever you want. And it really gives you an opportunity to see yourself in a new way. And I mean, I just think it's, it's so exciting to see you thriving like that and, and really owning those separate parts of yourself. Because I do think of you as someone who's very confident and very self-aware and very, um, yeah, just like knows what he's good at and what he brings to the table in any any room that he's in. And those are skills, like I think it's so easy to think that everyone is like us mm. um, or has the same um, like skills that we have. And then we think we're like unique in the things that we're bad at. Yes. <laughs> like I'm the only person who's bad at this thing. Like everyone else is great at this, but like that's not necessarily true. And I feel like you have such a good sense of of what makes you unique and what makes you you. Well, thank you. Yeah. And I think anybody who is feeling a little burnt out, um, understandably, I think creating anything, mm-hmm. whatever makes you go um, from scratch really will inform the rest of your career in life in a way that I had no idea it would until I did it. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Well, Lily, this has been such a lovely conversation. I could literally talk to you for hours. I know. It's like chicken soup for the soul over here. Like I'm feeling good. I feel ready for the day. I'm ready (laughs) to go. Um, Where can the children find you? Oh my gosh, what a fabulous question. Uh, they can find me at my website, lilitore.com, L-I-L-I-T-O-R-R-E, uh, and also at The Dreaded Question on Instagram. I am in between seasons right now, but season four will be coming sooner or later. <laughs> Ooh, love. Yeah, check out her podcast, The Dreaded Question. It's really, really incredible. Lily asks artists and creatives the uh, – question we all hate at family parties which is <laughs> what's next or what are you up to uh, exactly and it's a lot of great conversations if you like anything about this podcast definitely check hers out as always thank you all for listening thank you lily for coming on thank you for having me and until next time bye What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.